everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Beelman from Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. While Steve Flink and myself are actually looking forward to talking some tennis today, we will obviously summarize the Novak situation um, and then focus on the matches. But before we start our discussion, um, prayers up, sending good vibes, all good stuff to tennis legend uh, Chrissy Everett. A lot of you know, um, seeing what Chrissy posted on social media. She's dealing uh, with a fight right now. She caught it early and uh, no doubt she's going to win. I know, Steve, you have a, a really close um, friendship with Chrissy and I know you're, you're feeling the same way. Yeah, absolutely. We got a, a wishing her all the best and I'm, I'm confident that she's going to get through this and it's, it's stage one cancer and I think she's going to make a good recovery and I'm wishing her all the best as all her friends are at this moment. Uh, amen to that. Amen to that. Okay. Let's summarize. Um, Steve and I spoke on Thursday night. It was um, we decided to wait till after the draw was made because we would we thought at that point, Australian Immigration Minister Alex Hawk, if he were to use his unilateral power, he would have done it before the draw was made. He did not. So Steve and I recorded. It was a fantastic discussion. Um, I recommend everybody listening to it because it's not really out of date. It's just thoughts on Novak and the process as whole as a whole. Um, little do we know about 12 hours later, Alex did use his unilateral power to reject Novak's visa again. Novak appealed it. That was last night, um, which was Saturday night, U.S. time. Um, we're recording as a timestamp Sunday morning right now, um, U.S. time. But um, Novak appealed it last night. And, you know, several hours ago, it, Novak's appeal was rejected. So he is currently on a plane back to Serbia. Um, this matter is now complete. We can focus on tennis. Um, but before we do that, Steve, uh, I want to give you an opportunity, to, any parting thoughts uh, on the matter. Uh, David, there was never going to be a happy ending. This was never going to be a resolution that was going to leave us all feeling good about the game and the way the whole matter was handled. You and I covered it, as you said, in depth, comprehensively. And before that decision was made by Hawk, and I think we, we really... Uh, covered virtually every angle. I'll just say that I, I hope people will not be uh, overly harsh uh, on Novak because yes, he played a role. He made some serious mistakes in the process. However, the one thing I, I, I maintain is that he was led to believe when he went over there uh, that he was going to get into the country. And, for, and we don't know exactly what transpired. Eventually we will, but I think there should be a little bit more sympathy for the fact that the part of Novak not going over to Australia with the intention of causing an imbroglio, not going over there because he felt like there was some kind of entitlement and that this was he that that he he was a superstar who should be let in because of his status. He went in because he coordinated with Tennis Australia and the Victorian government and thought he was going to be fine. Bottom line is it played out the way it did. The process was the process. And I think Djokovic handled it very well with his statement saying he accepts it, even if he's very disappointed. So we move on. And thankfully, the tournament is upon us now, David. So let's talk about it. Yeah. And, and one last thing, Vasek Pospisil, who, who's Novak's partner on the PTPA, echoed your, your thought. And, and, and Vasek said, um, if Novak didn't get those assurances early on, he never would have gotten on that plane. So echoes your statement. Yeah, I saw that statement. And I think it's very I'm glad that he said it, because I think that sort of got lost in the swirl of events. 
in in the, the turbulence of the times and the whole episode playing out over more than 10 days and Pospisil did a nice job of putting some clarity on on that point yeah okay we are about i don't know six hours uh, approximately from first ball being hit so um there actually is a tennis tournament going on it's starting and excited to talk about some of the matches uh sure. with you steve obviously um for the for those that don't know because of the timing of, of Novak not being able to play, they didn't have to totally rework the draw. They put in a lucky loser in Novak's spot. <laughs> um, people have their own opinions on that because it obviously opens up Novak's side of, of the draw. Um, it gives an opportunity for Matteo Berrettini, um, Sasha Zverev, even, even Rafa. But before we project too far out, um, Steve and I are also going to do like a mid tournament recap next weekend. So um we, we, we will see where we're at at that point, but um, a few on the men's side, a few matches that, that stand out to me, eager to get your thoughts, Steve, um, Cameron Norrie versus Sebastian Corda. Sebastian, uh, he had COVID, so I don't know how much time he's had to really recover. Um, as far as stamina goes, they're, they're head-to-head. Sebastian beat him. They played one time, I believe. Sebastian beat him in Del Rey this past winter. Um, should be a good match. Cam Norrie's a tough out. Yeah, I hope that uh, I'm, I'm assuming that Corda will be fully fit. I, I'm hoping that his case of COVID was not too severe. And assuming that, <laughs> I think we've got a blockbuster on our hands, a potential five setter. I would give Corda about a 48% chance to win that match. The odds only very, very slightly against him. He's playing one of the wiliest competitors out there and, a, and a, a, as as you said a really tough out but I think it's it, I think it goes the distance one way or another and uh, I think Cordes if he can stay a little healthier this year than he did in 2021 we're going to see this young man rise into the top 15 in the world by the time the year is out would not argue with your uh, prediction at all I think it could easily go the distance as well another match um has implications for the draw moving forward because of Novak's withdrawal. Brandon Nakashima versus Matteo Berrettini. This is a huge opportunity for Matteo, but um, Brandon's good. And you know, Brandon's really good. So we'll see uh, my own opinion. If Matteo gets out in front early and kind of uh, puts some doubt into Brandon's mind, it may be easy, maybe, maybe like kind of a tight uh, straight set, three sets, three setter, but if Brandon gets his teeth, uh, if he digs his teeth into this match early, could be a good one. Yeah, good assessment. I, I think the Berrettini serve is going to be the key. If he's having a good serving day and he, that first serve percentage is anywhere above 65%, I don't think he loses. But I do think, I, I, I see it, you know, it's the first round. He has to get his teeth into the tournament too. I'm looking at, at sort of something along the lines of seven, six and the fourth to Mateo. Uh, but I agree. Nakashima is a very tough customer and he's improved a lot in the last 18 months. So I, 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 I don't, Berrettini could have had a much easier start than this one. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, big servers, two big servers, Riley Opelka versus Kevin Anderson. I don't know what the average shot length in that one's going to be, but um Riley versus Kevin, who are you picking in that one? I'm picking Riley Opelka, uh, and probably in four sets. I, I felt badly for Anderson since the comeback. He, he lost some time. He's, 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 he was injured. 
all through 20. He had a nice moment in Newport when he won the tournament over Brooksby. That was that, but it didn't amount to much after that. Brooksby beat him the next time they played. Kevin just has not been the same Kevin Anderson that we saw uh, reaching both the finals of both the U.S. Open and Wimbledon in back-to-back years. And so I feel like I feel like it's a good Opelka has got got a good preparation for the uh, for this tournament and did well last week. He lost to Murray in a tight three setter. I'm going with Opelka in four. Yeah, and Steve's referring to those good years, like Kevin in 2017, uh, U.S. Open finalist, 2018 right. Wimbledon finalist. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, it, I think they're going to be close sets. I don't think there's going to be a lot of breaks, obviously. So. Um, We'll see. We'll see how that works out. A rematch of a match that recently occurred uh, this past week, I believe. Nicholas Bacchus-Vili versus Andy Murray. Andy got through that in, it was three hours or something close to it. Um, long, brutal match. Andy got through it. I'm hoping, just because we know all that, what Andy's been through, and he's gotten some tough draws early um, in slam just because of his ranking, obviously. He's had to take some wild cards. I'm hoping Andy gets through this again, and, and I'm hoping he makes a little bit of a run. Basilis Philly, though, he's one of the biggest hitters in the sport. Uh, so he, he, it's a little harder to gauge. I mean, you looked at, at his record last year. He tends to either be losing in the first, a string of first-rounders or, or threatening or winning tournaments. You know, it, it goes to extremes with him. And Yes, and he and Andy got by him this last time, as you said, in a debilitating three-setter. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Murray in, in five. Uh, I, I think he picked up a lot of confidence just by getting to the final. Karatsa beat him handily. Maybe he was, Andy was a little bit, uh, you know, fatigued after the long battle that he'd had, uh, you know, to beat Bachelors Billy, but I'm going to pick Murray in five. I, I think that's another really compelling first round contest. Yeah, that even if Murray wins in five, I just don't think that bodes well for Andy going forward. No. He needs to get through these early rounds quicker than what he has been. Oh, um, we uh, we talked about that in some podcasts last year. That's been the issue is that he, he has to work so darn hard to get through these matches. It doesn't, and we're not talking about just the very upper crust. It's beating anybody. That's no knock on Andy. The fact that he's reached this, even reached this level, I, I don't think anybody thought that was possible after all that he'd endured. But th- that's just the reality of his situation right now. There are no longer, or rarely are there any 6-2, 6-3 matches for him. And yeah. that would give him a world of good if he could get through some of them more quickly. But that first round, it's hard to see how he wins that in anything under four. I think it goes five. Okay. Oh, the one more. Oh, there is one more men's match that I want to talk about just because he had a great week last week. Uh, Maxime Cressy versus John Isner. Again, the average rally length in this uh, could be 3.5 shots. I have no idea, but it could be close to that. Um, Cressy reached the final where he played Rafa. Um, was it two weeks ago now? So um, he's been playing a good ball. Uh, with these big servers, it's just hard to predict just because there, there could be so many sets just go seven, six. And, and that at that point, it's a crapshoot. Um, where are you leaning with that one? I'm leaning, I'm leaning Isner, but I, what I find intriguing about that one is that I think that Cressy, what makes him so unusual is, is the, the onslaught of serve and volleying first and second, the way he just comes, he just is thoroughly committed to coming in behind his serve. 
maybe in a strange way that that can John can deal with that, you know, a low return followed by a pass, you know, maybe he actually squeezes out a break here and there, but I do like his chances. I think Cressy will have a, will have a very difficult time dealing with John's serve. And you're right. You got to expect at least a couple of tie breaks. Uh, I, I'll go Isner seven, six in the fourth. Okay. Now let's switch over to the women. And there are three matches that just, when I looked at the draw, I was like, Oh my God. Um, the first one is Sophia Kennan versus, versus Madison Keys, And Kennan has not played a lot lately, okay? Um, Madison, she just had a heck of a week. She just won a title. I've talked about Madison uh, for several years now. And, I mean, she's such a nice person off the court, loves the fans, interacts with the fans. Her game, to me, is so hot and cold. And when she is on she can not only beat every anybody, she can crush anybody just with her power. Um, when she is on, man, it is something to watch. The problem with me is she plays with no margin for error. And if she's just a little off, that's when the errors start sprinkling in. And to me, when I've watched when those errors start sprinkling in, it's hard for her to change her game and fix her game mid-match to get through a tough spot. And that's why it's like, as a coach, it's almost like I never know what I'm going to get when she sets foot on the court. It could be good Madison where she could win the tournament or she can struggle out, uh, you know, right out of the shoot. Yeah. I think it's, you, you, you sized up her game. Well, she, I've seen her sporadically, David, where she's a little bit more calculated and playing the percentages just a bit more, but it doesn't seem to last match in match out. Now she was at in magnificent form this past week. And that match against risk in the finals was spectacular. It was clinical, spectacular and clinical. So uh, I hope she carries that form in, into this tournament and has a great run. We've seen her when uh, at her best, when she was in the finals of the U S open against Sloan in 2017 or back in the semis of the French the next year, also losing to Sloan. We know what, what keys can do. And yeah. uh, like that she's timing it well right now uh, to come off a, a, a tournament win like that and, and come barreling into the Australian brimming with confidence. So I hope we'll see the best of Madison keys, because as you said, you know, when, when she's firing on all cylinders and uh, you know, she, she can stay with just about anyone in the game and, and her serve is excellent. Love the first serve. Yeah, no, I agree. It'll be interesting, fascinating first round match. Um, this other match, I had to check the draw a couple times because I could not believe it was a first-round encounter. Alia Tomjanovic versus Paula Bedosa, is that true? I mean, that could be easily, to me, could be a quarterfinal in a slam. Um, we saw, I mean, Bedosa's been playing great. You remember her performance, Indian Wells, just a few months back um, where she beat Victoria Azarenka in one of the best matches of the year. Oh, he's, yeah. Um, Tomjanovic is playing well, too, though, so... Uh, that to me, that I, I just felt bad for both players when I saw that. Yeah, it, it'll be a tough draw because uh, Bedosa, she comes in as the informed player here after what she, we saw great stuff from her last week. And that match with Krejcikova was just a, a gem. Yeah. And I like, uh, yeah, she's building on, she's showing us that the performance at Indian Wells and not just against Azarenka, but the whole tournament, she's showing us now. Uh, it's, it's a habit. I mean, she, she's for real. She's showing it because there's just, she's played too many good matches and she, she is a shot maker supreme. I mean, sometimes you feel like you talk about Maddie having no margin for error. There are times when Bedosa seems as if she's really flirting with danger, 
with some of the shots she attempts, and she'll, but she'll make a forehand down the line uh, and catch the edge of the line and just shrug her shoulders and move over to the ad court and play the next point like it was nothing. And I, I do believe that, obviously, if she wins that match, she might go all the way. You can't say that about, about Tom Janovich, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm figuring, yes, a hard battle and maybe a three-setter, but I still believe that it, it's Bedosa's match to win. Got it. Um, one more that that's really intriguing to me. Um, and I've read some stories on it and, and I disagree with a little bit of the storyline, but it's Sloan Stevens versus Emma Raducanu. And they're talking about how Sloan can talk about her run in 2017 and how she struggled afterwards. And we all know Emma, her life changed overnight when she had to qualify for the U S open uh, wins 10 matches, three in qualifying seven in the main 20 sets in a row, never loses a set. Um, the storyline that that that's similar is not uh, to me is not true at all because Sloan was an established tennis player. This this Sloan did not come. It wasn't like Sloan's life changed out of, totally out of the blue like it did with Emma. Um, that being oh, said, not- both both have struggled um, after winning their slam. Sloan obviously did it in 2017. Emma's still in that process now. Steve, what are your thoughts on, on both those players? Yeah, just in fairness to Sloan, you look at what she did that next year was the was the finals. The French nearly had Halep beaten, almost won right. that much three, and then year-end championships finals against Halep. So she actually did follow up nicely in 18 to what she'd done at the 17 open, and the trouble started after that. Yeah, in 19, yeah, that's right. That's a good it, point. Thank you. I, parallels are there, but uh, I do – what I see is something like – what we saw against Sloan Stevens against Coco Goff at the U S open last year. I think that Coco likes these circum. I mean, that, that Sloan likes these circumstances. It's a chance to, you know, you use all of her experience and all of her match playing savvy and, uh, and, and to go out of, and in this battle of U S open champions, but to feel like she can, she, she's the, the veteran and she's going to so, show, she knows that Radicano has been struggling I hope that Emma will, will raise her game again. And, 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 and if they're both in really good form, we get three sets almost for sure. But I feel like on current form, I have to lean towards Sloan because Raducanu, Emma's just had such a difficult time since the Open adjusting to this newfound status, to celebrity, to being a major champion. It's been very difficult for her, sorting through coaching problems, all of it. So I just feel like the circumstance, you know, the situation tells me as, uh, St- Stevens, uh, uh, that I, I have to pick Stevens, but I sure hope that Raducanu can start elevating her game again. And because, as you pointed out, and when you go through ten matches at the Open like that, and the qualifying is not is is no simple matter, and blitz tournament like that. I mean that what that wasn't an accident, but we, unfortunately, since that time, we just have not seen her perform anywhere near what she uh, anywhere near the level she's capable of performing at and may that maybe this will be the start of it and if she does manage to topple sloan then i think that she could go on a nice run at this tournament yeah yeah we need to get her again if it's not this tournament whatever tournament soon hopefully she can get on a little run again and, and pick up her confidence again um Generally don't like to project too much in the draw, especially where we're six, you know, around six hours away before uh, first balls even hit. But I will say this, I saw a stat that this is the first tournament that Rafa will play without Roger and or Novak. <laughs> in this case, Roger and Novak in the, in the, in the draw. This is the first one Rafa's by himself in a slam. Um, that's interesting. Now, again, Rafa has some 
tough competition. These guys, uh, where they're not so young anymore, so we can't say these young guys, but these established guys, Sitsipas, Vera, um, you know, there's a, there, there's a bunch of them now. Um, his competition is tough. And looking at a draw, and I'm hoping we can talk about this next weekend, there's a potential Rafa Sasha's Vera quarterfinal. Um, again, that draw gets a little goofy with Novak out, but that quarterfinal would be something, and I've said this before, and there's so much work to still be done, but history can be changed. We'll, we'll see if it happens. If Rafa can win this tournament, and he's only won it once, He'll be favored again at the French. And if he can get two up on the slams, that changes history big time. Any All thoughts? Right, well, no, you're right. I believe that's a very unlikely scenario, but I, I, I would never be one to underestimate Rafa Nadal, not for an instant. I will say this. It's his worst slam. Uh, for for some of it is just plain bad luck. Uh, it, 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 but think about it, 13 years since he won it. That was a great five-set triumph over Roger in the finals, uh, following up on having beaten him at the French and Wimbledon finals the previous year. And so that was a golden period for him, and he, and he beat Roger in five, and Roger was in tears afterwards. Then you look what happened since. He loses in the 12 final to Novak in five hours and 53 minutes and five sets after being up a break, serving at 4-2-30-15 this set unbelievable opportunity eluded him then in 2014 never lost a set to Stan Vavrinka never lost a stand and and he hurt his back in the warm-up and he ended up losing in four sets you could see he was in real pain by the middle early on in that match it was apparent then he loses to uh Roger in the 17 final after leading 3-1 in the fifth up a break in the fifth set what were the chances of that spectacular comeback from Federer but so Rafa has just been unable to get that and of course he lost again in straight sets to Novak in the finals, uh, you know, in 19 as well. So he's done, he's played so well there, but it, things have not really broken his way since 09. And, and as you mentioned, potentially he'd play Zarev in the quarters here, but he may have to play Herkash along the way. He's got some tough matches to get to Zarev. And then yeah. Zarev, I feel like in recently, he, it was Zarev even had a win over him on clay. I mean, Sasha's pretty confident against Rafa and, and, especially on hard courts once lost a five setter to him here in 17. And, uh, you know, he, I think he feels like it, and especially when he he's gotten over his case of double fault itis, yeah. that's that Sasha is, you know, if he, if he's not in that state where he's feeling like he's having to go for 128 mile an hour, second surge to stop Rafa, then I, I think it's a, it's a fairly comfortable matchup for him. Now, not that Rafa doesn't have a serious chance, but that draw is a tough draw for Nadal. Djokovic is gone. That would have been a potentially been a semi, but still just to get there and then potentially play Medvedev in the finals. If he wins this tournament, it'd be one of the great major tournament triumphs of his career conceivably. And then it would carry him into the French, but we still don't know fully the state of his body, despite winning his one despite winning on this court in Melbourne, uh, you know, in a two fifty. didn't tell us too much because the opposition wasn't that strong. And you mentioned Sasha, and it's just a matter of time, and it's really, really close that he's going to start winning slams, and it's going to be quite a few of them, I think. Uh, he was super close to the 2020 U.S. Open. Um, like you said, he's playing so confident. He's won every big event there is except a slam, so it's it's going to happen. Yeah, sorry, David, to interrupt, but it, it, you just made me think of it. The 2020 Open, he's have two sets to love against team and eventually served for the match in the fifth set and lost it in a fifth set tiebreaker, a heartbreaker. But he really responded 
awfully well. Oh, yeah. Look at his 2021. He was not haunted by that team loss, as many of us thought he might have been. And he goes out last year and loses to Novak here in the quarters in a well-played match. And he's in the semis of the French and loses in five to Sitsipas and did lose to Felix at, at, the, uh, at Wimbledon, but then played really well again at the Open after winning the Olympics, lost to Novak in five. No, he's on the cusp of it. There's no doubt about it. And so I, I'm fascinated to watch to see how he performs here. And if he carries himself like someone who fully believes that the time is right for him to seal his first major crown, he may be the most arresting player in the field right now, all things considered. No, I agree. I agree. And it's like I said, it's, it's not a matter of if it's just a matter of when with Sasha. So Steve, I'm, I'm tired. I, I got to tell you, man, I have the phone next to me in the nightstand in the middle of the night when I, when I get up and I'm, I'm checking to see what's going on with, what has been happening the last week. I'm tired. I'm ready to get a little bit of sleep and then gear up and watch some great tennis the next couple of weeks. I know you are too. Um, before, yeah, but, before we wrap up, before we wrap up, what's uh, any parting thoughts? Yeah. Well, first I just want to tell the listeners that uh, you are normally a, one of the most honest, honorable individuals I've ever known, but you just told your listeners something that's fundamentally untrue. You will not sleep much at all this entire tournament. No matter what you just said, I know you, you won't stop yourself. The phone will be there. The television will be on and you will be following every move in this tournament and you can't help it. And neither can I. Right. You'll be right there with me. So with that, uh, I'm going to let you go, have some lunch, uh, enjoy the afternoon. Then let's get ready to roll tonight. And we will uh, speak next weekend where we'll have our mid tournament recap. Can't wait to see where we're at at that point. Same here, David. I enjoyed it. It's always-